But this was the first time that this country got to a major final since 1966. That's success, that's progress. But what we don't see that is reflected in the leadership of football. You know, we look at management and it is getting there, but it's very slow. But then you look at, you know, you, you look at boardrooms, you look at um, senior leadership decision makers, and there are people there that are capable and willing to do this job from a diverse background, but for certain reasons, and some that we are quite clear that we know, that doesn't open, that door doesn't open, it remains firmly shut. And so the challenge is how do we, how do we in 2021 address these issues? Hiya, welcome to the Christians in Sport podcast. Uh, our guest today is Michael Johnson. Now, it could take me a while this, so hold on, buckle down. Uh, here's his playing career, centre-back, right-back, left-back sometimes, uh, but generally a centre-back, primarily. Uh, over 550 games in the EFL and the Premier League, over an 18-year career, that's serious, 91 to 2019. Of those, two over 250 games for Birmingham City and 100 each for Notts County and Derby County. International footballer, played 13 times for Jamaica. Let me give you his management portfolio to this point. Uh, he took over the youth team uh, after finishing playing at Notts County, caretaker there for a while, moved to Birmingham City's academy as a coach, then coached the Cardiff City, has been head coach of Guyana, and took that country, this is 2018, for the first time in their history into the Continental Tournament, the Gold Cup. In 2019, he was appointed to the England Under-21 setup. Uh, he remains an ambassador at Derby County. I warned you, it's long. He remains an ambassador at Derby County, which has every role under the sun, mentoring players, looking at players that they haven't signed yet, match day duties, hosting the media in-house on match days. And in 2020, he became the Academy Sporting Director at Limerick Football Club in the League of Ireland. Jono, seriously, how can he do all those jobs at once? <laughs> when I even reading it back to me there, it was kind of, wow, it's, it does sound a lot. Um, but it's, you know, I, I look back on that with great pride and obviously continuing to do some of those roles with great pride. So, you know, thanks for sharing that with me. <laughs> But uh, let's let's just do a couple of minutes. Look, what I what I'm really interested in, and I, I'll warn the listener now. What I'm really interested in, it may seem a bit perverse. What I haven't mentioned so far is your CV, which we'll come back to. You got two masters degrees, for example. But I'm interested in player for player, which you've set up with a bunch of other pros, ex pros, really concerned about transition for footballers in their lives. So that's going to be a big deal for us later on in the podcast channel. Um, yeah. Before we get into the, the, the nuances of that, in your own life, as a player, let's go player first. As you look back now, uh, a little bit older, what do you remember most fondly? For, I mean, you got to the League Cup final, right? Against Liverpool, you, you know. Yeah. So there's obvious highlights. Go on, give me a, a little snapshot as you look back of what gives you joy from your career. Um, I think my promotions um, give me real joy, Dano. Um, so, you know, I, I was promoted with Notts County, mm. with Birmingham City underneath Steve Bruce, and we played Norwich at the Millennium Stadium. That gives me great joy in in returning a um, returning top level football back to 
Birmingham City fans that haven't seen Premier League football for, for a number of years. And it was also the case at Derby County in 2007, 06-07 season. It ended really poorly, as you probably may be well aware of that, that team amassed the lowest number of points. Um, myself and Darren Moore, who I know you know very well, were part of that team. Um, but the highlights, you know, from dreaming about those things as a kid to then fulfilling them and walking up Wembley Stairs or the Millennium Stadium, Cardiff, you know, it's precious memories. And then when you give that trophy back to the fans and you see the joy that it brings to a city, it's it's mind-blowing. And then, you know, I think for me, the Gold Cup might just eclipse that because that's taken a nation. So I said a city, handing that back to a city. Imagine handing that back to a nation for the very first time and, you know, being part of a nation, having a bank holiday the next day, the nation partying that whole night. And when you see... That, I think that for me is probably the highlight of my career. How did you get that job, Jono? Because head coach of Guyana, you know, it's an unusual job to catch, right? Yeah, it, it, it fits the narrative of, of, you know, some of the stuff that we're talking about here today, Dana, that it was probably the first time that I actually felt that my CV would be given the, um, the careful due attention that, I think CV should be given, regardless of who's behind it. If the credentials are on it as something of interest, then it's really nice that somebody actually looked at it and thought, I don't know who this person is, but the CV itself, we've got to interview that person. And that's what happened for the first time. I Nobody knew my, who, who I was, what my background, who, what I looked like, but just got contacted me and said, so we need to interview you. And off the back of the interview, so it, it, it started at 200, it narrowed down to 10, and then I made the final three, the final cut. And, um, you know, that's how, it, that's how it happened. It was over a six-week process. And then, lo and behold, I got a call. I was in Madrid at the time with my wife, and I got a call saying, you've been successful. We would like to appoint you as the head coach of Guyana if you're interested. That, that is a remarkable story. Because modest as you are, uh, let me be clear on this. You know, you've got your, pro, your UEFA Pro Licence, you've got the League Management Association Diploma, two master's degrees, one from Manchester and one from UEFA for working with international players, as, and a full, a, a full CV as a player as well. You know, to be, to be in the academies, uh, say, North County, Birmingham, Cardiff City coaching at Cardiff and then boom you're a national team manager and you bring immediate success to that country I know you're not a winger Jono you're definitely not but you are in print as saying you know after 50 odd jobs you just thought I'm not going to apply for jobs because I'm not going to get near them talk into that in a way that helps the rest of us perceive what's going on there as you see it yeah, it's, it's difficult when you keep putting yourself in that vulnerable place. You know, when you go for a job, you make yourself vulnerable. You know, you're opening your world to somebody else to see. You know, sometimes you don't want that person to see, but you're showing them all that you've got. You're showing them all that you'd like to do. You're passionate around that role. 
And it's only a certain amount of times after that vulnerability keeps getting impacted that you want to just curl up. And I felt that after numerous applications to numerous roles, even in non-league, um, like it just wasn't happening. And I suppose that's why my career has took such a diverse role in terms of roles within football, because some roles in football you had to take because that door was never open at the one that you wanted to go through. Um, so after um, 50 odd interviews, I decided that, you know, my life's going to be around um, the sporting director role. That's where I'm going to try and get myself to. And it was ironic that around that sort of time when I decided that, the Guyana role came up and it was kind of like, oh, well, here's a head coach as well for you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I, I went through that door and it was such a, a moment for me personally and in my family that all that you'd studied to do, all that hard work that my son had seen me do. And I'd always said to my son that, you know, life's about making sure you, you work hard, you're diligent, you put in the time and effort um, and, you know, God will reward that. And it was great for that to be um, something that I could share with my son that all those years he'd seen me go on coaching courses, that the door had opened for not just a, a football club, but a, a national job, which was amazing. How do you, how do you discuss this issue in terms of the, the race issue involved in elite football management, directorship and so on. Uh, we're, we're talking, aren't we, Jono, uh, a couple of days after the Euros have ended. Uh, uh, I know in terms of analysis and, and behind the scenes because of your role with the under-21s as a coach, you've been doing a lot of work around the Euros. Um, help us to see the depth of seriousness. When a man of your CV and background thinks 50, 50 odd attempts, I'm not, I've had enough of this. I'm going to go and be a sporting director. What's the issue here? Yeah, well, it's quite plain to see. Um, you know, the, how would I say it? I think there's structural um, issues around racism in terms particularly leadership. Um, and we can go outside of, of football. I think one thing we have to be really um, clear on is that this is not just a football thing, this is a society thing. Football is a synopsis of society. Um, and what we have is a, we are devoid of leadership in terms of a diverse leadership. And you know the, the, the commissioners, the reports quite openly state diversity is, is a good thing for your company organisation from a financial level to actually exploring different pathways of different people's lifestyles and journeys that are actually coming into your, to your organisation that diversity is so key but we don't have that you know we don't have the diverse leadership that we, we all crave out to go and see we see what diversity does on the field of play we've just seen it with the England team We've seen all those different persons coming together and making a wonderful environment that we all felt part of. We all went on that journey. Sadly, um, obviously, it ended in a way that we didn't want it to end, both on and off the field. 
But this was the first time that this country got to a major final since 1966. That's success, that's progress. But what we don't see that is reflected in the leadership of football. You know, we look at management and it is getting there, but it's very slow. But then you look at, you know, you, you look at boardrooms, you look at um, senior leadership decision makers, and there are people there that are capable and willing to do this job from a diverse background, but for certain reasons, and some that we are quite clear that we know, that doesn't open, that door doesn't open, it remains firmly shut. And so the challenge is how do we, how do we in 2021 address these issues? John, let's contrast a couple of things on this then. You were great friends with Cyril Regis, uh, and uh, our, uh, I haven't written that on your CV here, but you're an ambassador uh, for the Cyril Regis Legacy Trust. So you'll know very well the extreme, avert, blatant racism faced by a man like Cyril on the park from 40,000 people. Yeah. And you've obviously are much younger than, than that, but you, you've been able to span that next generation of players through to international leadership in your own generation. Give me the positive changes that you have observed, and then let's do a bit more analysis now on the structural side within the game that stops the development uh, of, of somebody like you. So what's been positive? What's been positive for you to note? Um, well, when I look at the fans now, I see more of a diverse fans base. Um, when I look at um, the playing field, you know, very rarely do you see the situations that Cyril were faced with where it was blatant racism, it was banana throwing, it was certain words being chanted from the um, terraces. We don't really get that. Um, we, you know, to access playing facilities from grassroots right the way up into the professional game, it's quite clear to see that that's progressed massively. You just have to look at the, the playing base of English football. You just have to look at the England team to see that how that is represented, you know, modern day Great Britain, which is you know great to see. So there has been a number of challenges and I think the support network to try and allow anybody to feel safe within a football club is there. You know, there's reporting mechanisms from Kick It Out. There's reporting mechanisms where you can report it to the, the, the welfare officer at clubs, whoever that may be. So there are lots of good things that have happened. So in that sense, as you said earlier, uh, racism is, is a symptomatic aspect of culture, the wider culture. Uh, in sport, it's part of the wider scene. We're seeing, we've seen the changes you've just described. And it seems to me with people like you uh, and a range of other men and women we, we have in common in the elite game that we both know, the way, particularly looking at you with your England tracks you're on now, the way that observing the way the national team and its leadership has made its mind up uh, to create a much more fair and eclectic uh, world of professional football. Must be an exciting place to be, even in the frustrations of what you've seen in your lifetime. Yeah, 
And we have a leader here in Gareth Southgate that totally embodies what you've just said. He gets it, Dana. Hmm. Um, he's, he's less concerned with numbers. We, we, we live in such a digital world where everybody's so obsessed with numbers, with data, with spreadsheets. And sometimes at the elite leadership level, we forget the softer skills of people. Every organization is run by people. And so within those people, there's needs, there's uh, anxieties, there's issues. And sometimes we need to come down from that leadership point and meet those people and discuss. And I think that's what Gareth has been absolutely tremendous at. You know, you look at Chris Powell, who's obviously part of that first team setup, to myself, to um, Marcus Big, not to Jason Yule. There's other black coaches within the setup of this of, of, of this organization. And that's because we have a leader here that understands um, the issues and, and is relevant and is and is in the moment. By that I mean he's prepared no matter what to stop and ask how are you feeling you know what can we do to make this environment better so I think that's been a pivotal part is into why you see what you see within the FA at the moment. Mm. Historically because this has been your playing and coaching career you you look back now in 2021 and and you think um, Howard Wilkinson long time ago now saying this has got to be fixed you know English we're talking English football English football has got to be fixed in all sorts of ways holistically from from the way young people are treated to the way we play the game to our understanding of the whole of being a human being not just a number or a tactic Wilkinson the appointment of Dan Ashworth the elite player performance pathway of 2011, yeah. which they said all along, it'll be a 10-year window before we see the rewards of this. I, I mean, I'm sounding optimistic, but but what the Football Association, you have to say, and, and what the Premier League have initiated here, when I'm in this kind of interview with you, listening to the things you've just said, it, it's been a good piece of work, this, hasn't it, over a, probably a 15, 20-year window? Oh, it's been fantastic. And you're quite right to send accolades to those that have gone before. Um, you know, you look at where I'm sat now, St George's Park, which is the home of English football. English football never had a home prior to that. So all the teams, right, from the, the women's to the 15s, 16s, 17s, can call this home, can come and get familiar with each other and the playing styles and tactics and formations that the managers want to use. It's also a great tool where coaches can come and learn their trade, whether it's an A license, a pro license, or a youth educator. So there's so much good work. Then you talk about the EPPP Elite Performance Plan that um, the Premier League have uh, put in place 10 years ago, and how that now is evolved into more contact time, more contact time is produced better players. Um, so there's so much good work that has gone on and behind the scenes, which have brought us to where we are now. Um, so I think, you know, you're so right in, in, in recognising those, you know, your Howard Wilkinson's, your Dan Ashworth's, that Trevor Brookings, that have seen this picture, but seen it probably a decade ago. Yeah, way, way ahead of their time. And I'm sure that's right. So 
what do you think are the next steps for more for more diversity uh, across races at the top end of sport? What's going to happen next, Jono? How do you see it panning out if you were looking at three years? Where are the changes going to come now? Well, I think the changes need to come now. Um, you know, for me, there's there's been a course that has been ran um, for a good 10 years, on board it's called, which um, people from all walks of life um, go and get yourself graduated in corporate governance. So you understand the mechanics of a boardroom. I think that is a great starting place for the game to look at that course and probably two, 300 participants of which you know, names like Les Ferdinand have gone through it, Wes Morgan have gone through it, myself's gone through it. There's numerous people that have gone through this on board course, um, but still are not impacting the game in boardrooms. So there's, there's candidates out there that could add value to your organization. And then what does the day-to-day ruin of an organization look like from your um, perspective? When you look at the senior leadership level, what does it look like? Um, and Raheem Sterling came out and quite rightly said, you know, when he wants to, when he looks up at the Premier League, um, he wants somebody who can understand him, who's reflective of him, but he doesn't see anybody from a leadership point of view who may be able to get what some sometimes the issues that he's he's faced with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just purely from an inspirational aspect. Um, as a young black boy, my you know, role models were like Cyril Regis because Cyril made it possible for me to say, well, Cyril's made it, I can do that. So when you're now coming through, who's your next role model in, in those um, senior leadership positions? One that I hung on to was Les Ferdinand. That's why I um, strove to be a sporting director because Les can do it. That means I can do it as well. But we need those in chief executive positions in club secretary positions, in administrational positions, especially when we see a game um, that is reflective of so much diversity. You know, you're talking 35 to 40% of the game now is is a diverse game. But sadly, it's less than 2% in numbers across the board of of senior leadership positions. Mm. Well, it certainly appears to me that your generation now will be at the forefront uh, and men and women 10 years younger than you, 15 years younger than you, are hearing voices like yours at, at this level of football talking uh, about the need. So they're exciting days, whilst frustrating, uh, but certainly fills me with enthusiasm listening to you on it, Jono. Look, I, I, I've, I've got a couple more minutes with you. I'd, I'd, I'm interested, though it seems like a bit of a stretch in ages going back now, um, Given that you've worked, one, you're working with the England under-21s as a coach, uh, you've worked in three academy setups. Um, you set up player for player. One of the things you're involved in is player for player with ex-pros, entirely committed really to preparing footballers for life outside of sport as they leave the game. With the huge numbers of young people not not getting a pro contract, always has been the case, still is. Speak into the, the needs here for transition out of the game, both at 16, 18, and indeed 20s and 30s. It's tough, Jono, isn't it? What are you trying to do about that? 
yeah, it, it's tough. It really, really is tough. And we see so many players that transition out the game and, you know, within you know, a couple of years, they find themselves lost. Um, this is not about finances. You know, this is definitely not about the money because as we all know, your health and your well-being has no price. And there's so many players that come out of the game who are wealthy young players, but through life and trying to find themselves as they come out, they get lost. Um, so we try and help them in terms of finding themselves, their true identity, their purpose, to try and, and latch onto something that may be of interest to them, to try and prepare themselves for life after football, try and get them, you know, what are they interested in? What are some of the roles that within football that you may be interested in? It's not just about coaching or management, because we all know that that management ladder is a difficult one to sometimes get on, as I found out. So what are the other aspects of football that you might find interesting whilst you're playing? Why not go and spend some time, you know, looking what a director does or, you know, spend some time looking what a physio does or working alongside the chief executive for a day or having a look at the club secretary, all these other roles that could have longevity that may satisfy your inner person. Try and get an understanding of the bigger aspect of what this industry can provide. Oh, it's so exciting, Jono. Watching what's going on in English football at the moment, as you've mentioned, Gareth Southgate, from the leadership down, that kind of conversation we're in now that you're more than a footballer. Yeah, you're a footballer. And it's a big and demanding job. But you're always more than that, aren't you? Always more than yeah. that human being. That's got to be fundamental, isn't it? You're a human being first and foremost. You know, you, you, you know, you, you, a week consists of seven days. Probably for 90 minutes of those seven days, you put a shirt on. Mm. But don't forget, you, after the 90 minutes, you take that shirt off mm. and you become you again. So it's important you invest in you, you as a person. Last, last couple of minutes with you, Jono. Your, your Christian faith is well known, well respected uh, by pretty much everyone in the game. Uh, so you're well yeah. known as a Christian. We've ranged across a, a number of broad subjects here at the heart, almost, almost foundational subjects within professional football. What role, how do you integrate your faith in, in God with this, with this journey that you've been on as we close? Um, wow. Well, without Christ, without my faith, I don't know how I do it, Dana. Um, God is pivotal to everything. That, that I am as a person, first and foremost. I'm a man of God. Let's, I can lead the football and part of football. I'm a man of God. And then every morning I'll step into my tracksuit. And so the latter part of my career, it wasn't always so, but the latter part of my career when I was searching, when I was lost, um, I needed purpose, I needed identity. And it was God, it was Christ that really gave me that inner peace, that inner peace that, so what, it doesn't matter if there's 50 CVs which have gone before I love you and I value who you are. And to have the 
the orchestrator of this planet value you as a person is immense pride for me and so i'm very comfortable um, with myself because of the role that my faith plays in 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 the sport that i love michael johnson absolute privilege chatting to you as it always is um best wishes to you best wishes to the number of causes that you're committed to uh, and may the world be a much better place uh, because of the teams that you belong to john thank you very much indeed thanks Dana.